Welcome to the Triple D Podcast, Donuts, Disability, and Discourse, where host Michael Liner talks to the best in the business about community, impact, business, and donuts. Here's your host, Michael Liner. Welcome to another episode of the Triple D Podcast, Disability, Donuts, and Discourse. I have an exciting guest this week, uh, Dr. Stephanie Pope. Um, who is a child psychiatrist here yeah. in uh, Northeast Ohio in the Cleveland area. Where's your, now you, you just dropped some news on me a few weeks ago. That's okay. exciting in your life. You opened your own practice, yeah. your own clinic. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah. So it's um, based in the Chagrin Falls area. Which is almost like where we are, right? So where yeah. you're at the Mad Batter. <laughs> yeah. I think we're technically in Bainbridge. Yes. I think that's right. Yeah. And um, and then so down East Washington yeah. is the office that I'm practicing under. Uh, the name is Greater Cleveland Psychiatry, and then that in person very office. appropriate name is it? for a psychiatry <laughs> office. Yes, yeah, yeah, and um, and then there's virtual visits through Zoom, of course, which people are more familiar with. But sometimes people prefer, I prefer the in person appointments here on East Washington. So you prefer in person? I think so. Yeah, which is interesting because. Uh, when you said that you know you're offering virtual appointments, has that changed how you're able to practice medicine at all? Where you know before there were geographic boundaries to where people would seek help, mm-hmm. but now with the availability of a virtual option, I mean, are you able to expand how far you're able to help people? I mean, yes. How does it work with doctors? Could you help somebody in another state where you're licensed? Okay. So if you're licensed in Ohio, you can so see like, a patient who's who lives in or based, and they have to physically be within that state. Yeah. So it, it certainly uh, opens things up. I mean, I have some patients that live probably two-hour drive from where I am. Right. Now, there's some rules and regulations about the frequency of those in-person visits and that type of thing. And so they have to get in the car and make a day of it. Um there's also some other advantages too, like if a if a patient is at college, instead of say, hey, you need oh. to c- take off and come back to Cleveland, we can have the appointment there. Or, or if they're having a crisis or a subacute crisis, you can have an appointment with them in their dorm room instead of say having to wait for when they can come back. And a lot of college kids don't have cars, so so there's some positives there too. What are the rules like? You said that there's only a certain amount that you're able to see somebody. Virtually, so how often does somebody need to like come into your office mm. here? It depends in a, in it, a normative situation. It depends on the medication. Okay, but then also there's an umbrella of like you still have to practice good medicine. Sure. So, um, so you, you could always say the neck we need to have in person appointments, save to to check vitals or to have a different level of therapeutic discussion. Yeah. What made you decide that you wanted to go into psychiatry? Oh, a lot. <laughs> I I really love my job, but I did not go to medical school thinking I'd do psychiatry. Um, I thought I'd be a doctor for a long time, um, for many reasons. Were you like, it, Halloween's coming up at the end of the month, no, were you no, always no. dressed as no, Pope? No, 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 no. Um, it was sometime around like fourth grade. I was okay. like, oh, this is amazing. You can, you can use your brain to help people get better, and you know, at the end of the day, you people really care about your health. And I really had all these ideas like having this great clinic to like help the community service. And so I was really in love with it, but I thought I would deliver babies. I thought I'd be OBGYN. Really? Yes. I, that's why I was so dead set on. And then my first year of medical school, I did an elective 
where I was delivering babies. And for another long story, I delivered some babies by myself as a first year medical student. Yeah. And so, which shouldn't have happened, but that's what happened that day. And I was like, I do not like this. This is not what I want to do. This is great and amazing, but this is not kind of my style. And so then I thought, gosh, what am I going to do? And yeah, I got to med school. This is all of a sudden not what I want to do. And, um, but my mother said, you know, you're going back. And I was like, well, of course I'm going back. And I went back, and then I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then the next time to do an elective came up. And um, somebody said, you know, why don't you do child psychiatry? Okay. Um, and actually, because the Halloween party was that weekend, and they said, if you do psychiatry, then you'll, you won't have to work on Saturday, and you can go to the Halloween party. And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> so then I did child psychiatry, and I loved it immediately. Loved how you can use your brain in different ways. It's about how you communicate. It's about how you interact. And that's part of the signs and symptoms of mental illness. And then certainly, if you help somebody with their mental illness, you're helping them, their family, the community, the future. I was hooked right away. And also, it's, it's fun. You know, it was fun to talk to little kids and yeah. um, hear their problems and what their goals were and say, yeah, that's something I could do. I felt excited about treating that. Before you decided to branch off into psychiatry, I mean, obviously, your path in medical school was the same yep. as everybody else's. So yeah. your focus now is on helping people with, like, mental, emotional difficulties, mm -hmm. but your training allows you to help with anything, right? I mean, you might not have a specialty in cardiology. Now yeah, to, yeah. Right? And, yeah. and the analogy that I make all the time is people, uh, you know, like I, they'll ask me a question and they'll be like, you know, I'm getting divorced or I'm buying a house. Can you look at a contract? And I'm like, would you go to a cardiologist if you were having brain surgery? No, I wouldn't want that. Well, that's the same thing mm -hmm. for me. I mean, I'm like a one trick pony. I'm mm -hmm. really good at these disability cases yeah. and not much else. As far as like your like knowledge of the full body, your ability yeah. to treat something, does that play a significant role in how you're helping people with the, oh. the psychiatry issues that they're coming to you with? I, I think absolutely because at the end of the day, I'm still a physician, right. a medical doctor. And so that way of thinking, the entire, I mean, there was a lot of training in just how to think you know, quote, like a doctor. And what are the pertinent positives? What are the pertinent negatives? I mean, somebody told me it's it's just as important to prove a diagnosis as to unprove the other diagnoses that you don't think are going on. And so I think that whole way of thinking and the whole body system. And I think probably every appointment, somebody will say something about what's going on with their body. And I have to think of all the medical things that could be going on either to complicate their mental health symptoms that they're reporting or be the cause of. Um, you have to incorporate all that or you miss things and you mistreat people. And also with medications, you have to know the interactions. You have to know how it's right. going to, how it works. Um, and to just think of the biology of it while also thinking of the environmental impacts. That's why I really love psychiatry. You get to think like um, about the biology, but also the whole person, but also their whole life. It's really interesting. Yeah. So you're really just focused on wellness of the whole person. As opposed to a, a thought that I have, yeah. and I'm not sure how to develop this in conversation, but it's something that comes up a lot with my clients. So okay. um, I will have a client who gets really 
up in arms because they're like, I need the judge to, you know, I've, I've been receiving mental health treatment for six years, but I was, I finally just got a new diagnosis and they're so focused on what the diagnosis is, even though the symptoms and how they're functionally limited behind it Mm -hmm. are the same. Like, okay, now they're giving you a label for what's wrong, but you always were unable to get out of bed consistently. You mm-hmm. always were struggling to get motivated to do, you know, take a shower, um, have do, perform like household chores or activities. So in a social security world, mm-hmm. not much has changed in terms of that case. As long as they're seeing a physician, they have a diagnosis for their problems, but they get so upset. Oh, the judge didn't consider my bipolar disorder. Well, you've got 17 different diagnoses in the record and the, but we do have a good reporting of what's going on, but in the medical Mm -hmm. setting, does it make a huge difference to you how you're helping somebody, whether or not, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess my question is ultimately, and I'm sorry, I'm struggling to get to this. It's a good question. Are you focused on treating the symptoms or treating the diagnosis? Right. Um, Because a diagnosis does matter in some situations. Tell me about that. Because it matters on paper, you know, it, okay. it matters to your clients too. It, it matters for some resources, right? Whether it's school accommodations, um, insurance, the medications that are covered, it, it does matter yeah. on paper. Does it matter to people to have an identity with a diagnosis? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's a positive, sometimes it's a negative. Um, so when I talk to my patients about things, I try to incorporate that. Like, what matters about it being on paper? What matters about you know your association with that diagnosis on paper? But at the end of the day, does it matter in your day to day life? Does it matter in your functioning? And sometimes those are different answers. Um, so I feel like you can't say one's more important than the other because they matter in different capacities. Right. And then they'll change the textbook. And then it'll all change, you know, and then sometimes people kind of have like an identity question about it or people will say, no, my, my family member did have this diagnosis, but historically that meant something different. It's interesting because, and it was a few years ago now when they just rewrote the DSM, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Did that change things for you in your office a lot and how you treat people and how you approach? Uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but it did. You know, like what does an autism diagnosis mean? Right. And I'm doing like this, like it's the, the spectrum. Right. Um, there were some new diagnoses um, that might have been a positive, you know, because then they can do research targeting that too. So even like what does the diagnosis matter? Like for research, you have to know what you're even treating. Yeah. 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 What are – so what's it been like for you starting your own practice? I mean, you told me about how when yeah. you were a little girl, you're, yeah. you like – you kind of had this yeah. dream and now um, – yeah. We don't ask people how old they are on the show, but I assume you're not a little girl anymore. So now you're kind of like yeah. going back to this idea yeah. that you had. What's it been like for you opening a medical office? Well, it's kind of interesting because it kind of feels the same. I'm doing the same work. And, um, you know, it's Just still, a lot more of it. Yeah. And, and, but then also, like, I get to meet different people. You know, yeah. like, um, I... Like I, I, I love my patients. I love that the honor that they give me, and so I get to meet new people, who, who I hope I can help too. I that part I really like, and um, and, but but it's good too because it kind of gives me like you know freedom here. Like oh, I can come do a podcast, you know, or um, I can 
work on other things. And I um, want to talk about one of those other things. Yeah. Okay. You're spending time on. Yeah. Um, because got your yeah. official flyer, same yeah. person, Stephanie Abramowitz. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're running for school board. I am. In I am. Solon, Ohio. Yeah. Where we both happen to live, right? Yeah, that's right. So obviously, <laughs> your your interests are balanced. Um, okay. You know, as a business owner, a yeah. physician, yeah. that's obviously got to be a passion of yours, but serving your community yeah. is a huge uh, interest of yours as well. Have, yeah. you, have you been like really active in the schools over the years? I think so, because my children go to school yeah. there. How old are your kids? My oldest is 10 and my youngest is three. Okay. So out of my four children, I, I have three in elementary school and then one in preschool. So I tell people I need the schools to be great and wonderful for at least, God willing, 15 years. Because that's when my youngest, <laughs> you know, should, is scheduled to graduate. Um, and I went to public school. I work a lot with public schools for my patients um, or private schools. And I, the funding, the teacher's passion, the teacher's union, all that is so intertwined with just this one idea of public education or educating our children and even our community and how that helps. So I could talk forever about it, but they're so intertwined too. That's, that's what we're so, here for. So then when I was working it. with some advocacy work, you know, mental health advocacy, and some of it was political advocacy, I was seeing that, oh, there, there is a way that just regular people like me could run for office and, and also take that perspective. It may be a perspective that I take for granted. What I do, you know, eight hours a day could also be an avenue to help other people in a different way. So when, when did you decide that you were going to run for a school board? Oh, I think I was thinking about running for office early spring and then um, school boards seem to be like a natural fit, you know, have a parent of current students yeah. on the board, have a child psychiatrist and have somebody with familiarity with school accommodations and who talks to children all day about their mental health, about their health, about their schoolwork on a board when they're making these decisions about school safety and how to like, what priorities are we going to have in our school system? Are there any other physicians that are um, on the school board or running? In my race? Yeah. No. 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 So this is really kind of like a unique vantage point that you would bring <laughs> yeah. to yeah. the Solon School Board. Yeah. It's, I, I think what I'm hearing is it's, you need to have a physician run for office. There's some. Run for school board office. And that person's also a mental health clinician and a child psychiatrist. Like, People get really um, excited about that part. What's it been like campaigning for you? Like, what do you, what do you, what do, you do? Where do you like? How, how do you try and accumulate votes? You knocking on. I'm doors? knocking on a lot of doors. Wow. And um, and and that part's kind of fun. Like, it kind of. Um, I like meeting people. I like talking to them. Um, the weather's good. You know, it's just something to kind of do. So I'll go to the clinic all day, and then I get in the car, and sometimes I go alone. Or sometimes I bring some of my kids, and we go and we knock on doors. And I and I I like meeting people because these people are literally my neighbors, and I wouldn't run across them. Yeah. Other way, I like um, showing my children, especially my daughters, like this is how you knock on someone's door. You need to respect their space, and this is part of the political process, you know, which is important. Yeah. I think to show children and to show other residents that like you can. You could run for office. You don't have to wait to retire. You don't have to wait for the right time because there's never a right time. You just feel a need in your community. You feel a need to help and just do it. 
I love that you're getting your kids yeah. involved with this. So are, yeah. are they like really gung ho about it? And do they get excited? They when you do. Say, We're gonna go. Yeah, they want to ring the doorbell. What do you call it? What do you call it when you go door to door ringing doorbells? Oh, canvassing. Canvassing. Yeah, yeah. When you guys go canvassing. Yeah. They like it. They like to ring the doorbells, and you know, there's some really cool doorbells now. Oh yeah. <laughs> so they really, the rings. Yeah, and the then rings. We get the dogs going. Everybody's flowers are nice. Like one of my daughters wants to smell every single flower, every single house. Which of your children is most excited about it? Oh, I think they like different parts. Okay. You know, like I think my for the canvassing part. Yeah, I think my three-year-old likes when I say just have some sidewalk chalk and like have a ball. I think my five-year-old likes the ringing doorbells. My seven-year-old likes. To say part of the spiel, part of the speech. I think my ten-year-old likes um, that we're just out. Maybe he'll see some of his friends. You know, so there's there's like different parts, um, but it's a lot. I mean, because it's one to three hours every day, wow. and um, and then we'll have to stop sometimes because I'll have to go coach soccer, or I'll have to stop because I'll have to take him to another activity um, and take a break from canvassing to go, you know, coach a soccer practice and then come back to it and do another street. So. I think you gave us kind of your canvassing, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, but tell me what your seven-year-old says. What's your seven-year-old's name? Oh, Vivian. Okay. So Vivian goes, <laughs> knocks on the door. She's standing next to you. Yeah. She says, you should vote for my mom. Obviously she's a Why? mom. Why and should I vote for your mom? And then they go, and she goes, and she's a feelings doctor and the same lady. Huh? Yeah. So, um, and then people will ask them questions too. Like, oh, do you endorse your mom? And they're like, I think so. And then they're like, I don't know what endorsement means. <laughs> you know, so it's um, that kind of stuff. Or people are just happy to see, you know, like a young kid. And they just want to, you know, ask them what grade they're in. And what do you think about your mom running for office and such? I love that. Yeah, it's, so it, it's a good experience. Because I never thought I'd run for office. But, like, it's, it's nice to spend time with them in that way and show them kind of another part of the world because they might just you mean like the south side of so <laughs> like like <laughs> the, the political side like the that you're i don't just sit behind a computer that there's um uh, excuse me that there's um you know other ways you could help people yeah besides your job so when you made the decision to run was it like a family decision where you sat down and you're like well Mommy's going to be knocking on a lot of people's doors. But. I did. And I, you know, had to kind of explain, like, this is why we were, I'm going to wear a shirt with my name on it. That was a conversation, you know, because my three-year-old was like, why, why would you just wear a Stephanie shirt? Like, and I had to kind of explain, like, so that people know and they know me. I think I also had a conversation with my kids, like, is this going to change, you know, if and when I win, is this going to change, yeah. like, your life about school or anything like that? Um, and so we had a conversation that, you know, there's going to be people who are going to recognize me. There might be people who might be upset with me, that kind of stuff. I mean, I also had to like think a lot too, because I really, um, wanted to respect that role that like, okay, I would be a mother of children in the school and I could also be a board of education member. And what would that mean for, you know, just if we go to the football game, what does that mean when I go to a parent teacher conference? What does that mean when I want to volunteer at PTA? What does that mean when, um, my children might want to try out for a school event. Right. Um, and then what does that mean for my patients, too, um, to kind of take a public life? Because in, in psychiatry, there's this thing called the frame about being kind of private and respecting that space and people not um, – psychiatrists are known for being private, but there's a reason for it. It's so that whatever's reflected in therapy isn't biased by what they know about them. And so um, – so the short of it is that, like, then people might know that I have 
you know, this other life that I'd be a board member. But I, I and I thought about that too when I was getting more involved with some political work too, that they, they're going to see Dr. Pope quoted in places and then they might, they're going to see this other last name too. And then is that the same person? Are they twins? You know, like that kind of role. But I think most people understand that like some people go by two last names yeah. and that especially doctors. So I did just explain, yeah, I go by my first last name, Pope professionally, but Abramowitz is my current last name. And so that's what I'm, that's what people know me as. So we're what today's October 11th. Mm-hmm. The election is what day? November 7th, November but people 7th. are voting early and they started voting early yesterday. Okay. So yeah. what, what's the next month of your life going to be like? <laughs> a lot more door knocking? A lot of door knocking, um, handing out literature, meeting people, whether that's, you know, like at events, um, and just being out there a yeah. lot. And so in, in meeting people in every way possible. So, so do you have to do like fundraisers and stuff like that? Or are you allowed to self fund? A campaign. I think people can do both. You can do both. People can do both. So that's another thing too, is like, yeah, I have to learn a lot about election campaigns and all those rules. And so that's also kind of fun for me to learn about another kind of system to that. Like I didn't really ever think about, but yeah, you have to read the rules. You have to follow the rules and, and see how important a board of elections is to just have all this work and work well. And I mean, especially as a Solon resident, I know, I mean, there's a lot of pride in how the mm-hmm. Solon schools yeah. are supposed to be the best yeah. in the state. I mean, most people that I knew that I know moved to Solon yeah. specifically because they yeah. wanted their kids to be yeah. in the school district. So there's like a certain responsibility that you must feel to like serve the community in that capacity. Yeah. yeah but, um, I didn't grow up in Solon. I grew up in another yeah, part where, of Ohio. Where are you from? My hometown's called Upper Arlington, and it's a suburb By outside. Columbus. Yeah, 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 you know it. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, so that's where I grew up, and so I would hear about Solon even when I was in high school. Do you know how State fan from Columbus area? Yeah. I know that I went to Michigan. Cut the tape. I, <laughs> Cut the tape. <laughs> I, I did hear that, and, um, and it's so funny that you bring that up because, like, when I was growing up, there would be, like, Ohio State days. Yeah. You know, and, and so it was so almost like in the water that you would go there. And most people's profe- uh, parents, including my own, they had parents who worked for the university as, yeah. as professors or another staff. And so it was so ingrained. And I did go there for undergrad. And now living in Cleveland, um, I meet people who have um, shirts from other Big Ten schools. Oh, yeah. And I am kind of like, oh, I, they're wearing that, you know, but there are people who went to other schools behind, besides Ohio state and they have lives and they can wear their shirts going grocery shopping. And, but it still kind of shocks me every time, especially the shirt that you probably wear. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> so funny. Cause on like the little cul-de-sac that I live on Yeah, and you know, I've been a Michigan fan since I was a fan of anything. Cause I'm from Detroit and just yeah. go there. But I'm not like the crazy person that's like hanging flags out uh-huh. and yeah. stuff like that. But on my little cul-de-sac, there's like four other houses that mm-hmm. all have Michigan flags and everybody in these houses. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how did I magically get dropped on some street in Solon, Ohio, where <laughs> everybody else is a Michigan, you know, yeah. went to Michigan or the yeah. kids go to Michigan like I did. It's kind of a cool little community. People definitely have like an identity. And yeah. I think I did when I was younger, you know, about like football and everything. Yeah. And I think... Maybe being away from Columbus or maybe just being older, like there's other 
parts of my life. Yeah. Um, but people get excited about it, you know, and, and that's, and that's great and good. I know, um, I know I have a preference, you know, <laughs> like, but, um, but it turns, it, I, I look back on it and I'm like, why was there such like a contentious feeling? Like we were all humans and we were probably more alike than. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> But like we, there didn't need to be like that, like level of fighting, or right. it's certainly not violence, because then what do you know? Twenty one years later, you'll end up sitting across from them, and it's gonna be okay. That's right. That's <laughs> it's right. gonna be okay. Well, I'm so glad that you gave us some of your valuable time, especially during campaign season, and <laughs> as you're getting, you know, this this uh, new practice of yours off the ground. I'm glad it's going well. Um, we conclude each of our shows the way that you and I started before yeah. the tape started rolling by enjoying these delicious, delectable donuts <laughs> that we picked. You chose the flavor. What are we looking at here? I just like a good plain donut with chocolate on top. Chocolate yeah, on top. Yeah, that was like the treat when I was little. Okay, well, we're at the Mad Batter Bake House here in, I think we're in Bainbridge, Chagrin Falls, right on the border. Yeah. Um, and... I happen to know that these donuts are delicious because <laughs> this donut shop is not terribly far from either of our yeah. homes. Yep. But I want to take a bite with you. Ooh, this has a nice thick texture yeah, to we'll it. We'll do a little cheers. Good. Let's see. Are you going to bring your kids back here? Yeah, this is better than what I remember them being when I was a child. Delicious. Has it been that long since you had a donut? No, oh, it might have been. No way. <laughs> You really? Well, maybe when I was pregnant, I had some donuts. <laughs> That's quite the craving. That would work well for this podcast. Well, thank you so much again. I'm so glad that we got a chance to chat. Um, and best of luck to you next Thank month. you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Triple D Podcast. Donuts, disability, and discourse. Rate, subscribe, and tune in next week for more discourse and donuts.